Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. Paige, Merry Christmas. We are recording this at Christmas time and we are just <laughs> days away. I'm so excited about it. But you know, there's there's something that happens at Christmas time and that is social things, right? So people, they go to parties and they meet with friends and family members, maybe that they haven't seen for a long time. For some people, it might be since last year, you know, mm-hmm. and Sometimes that can feel a little nervous for some people. In fact, for some people, it, they can feel more nervous about it than other people feel getting together with other people. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about that anxiety that comes with social, social anxiety. Now we're going to not just talk about the, the regular run of the mill social anxiety, but we're also going to talk about some of the more difficult social anxiety things that people might be dealing with and how to help with that what we can do to help people so that they can be successful in their holiday gatherings, but also just everywhere, school, work, all the things that people do, what can they do? So we're going to be talking about that. But before we do, we're going to talk about a fun family activity. So Paige, what is something fun that people could do as a family? Well, something that we used to do is we would make a family photo album. Um, I know when we were younger, we would do lots of scrapbooking. You know, this was before the time of digital photo books were available, you know, making them on the computer and then having them sent to your house. Um, But we would go and print out the photos and we would make super cute scrapbook pages and then we would put them in page protectors in a binder and we would make cute little scrapbooks. Um, and that was really, really fun. You taught us really fun ways to scrapbook and, you know, use stickers and paper and um, all that jazz. And it was really, really fun. And I know you still have a whole, uh, like, not suitcase, but kind of briefcasing full of scrapbook stuff. I do. I have a lot of scrapbook stuff and I just keep using it. But I'll tell you what, um, that phase of scrapbooking, although it was a little expensive to be buying all those things all the time, (laughs) it was a lot of fun. And I would print multiples of my pictures. This was back when we printed pictures a lot, right? Mm -hmm. I would print multiples of my pictures and then I would give them to you guys. And I knew that your little scrapbook pages may or may not be, you know, professionally. <laughs> Amazing, done, but, but. Yeah, but I would let you experiment with them with using these little 15 cent prints, you know, and then use the little stickers and different things. And you try to make a pretty page. And it was something that you were proud of afterward, but not only that, but it pointed back to family, the mm-hmm. importance of family. When you've got a book sitting there, it shows you how important your family is. Now you can make digital scrapbooks with your family members, but it's a lot harder to gather around a a computer and be like, yeah, put it there, do that. It's just not as, it's not hands-on. You don't get to do it yourself, you know? So I do think going back to the old school way of making a photo album or a scrapbook, just, and letting each child make their own is huge too. I remember when Quinn was 15, we decided to get into a major genealogical phase. And so we made these genealogy type scrapbooks and where we put, you had like whole pages dedicated to each sibling, to grandparents, Mm -hmm. and you would write all the details about that person and where they lived and 
and their birth dates and all the things about them and when they got married and going back to great grandparents. And, and then we were putting in pictures. So these were again, like a scrapbook. And it was something that you could always have that was that person, you know, the, your family, something that you could hold on to. And, and I feel like those are just treasures. You know, when I look back now at a lot of the things that we've given people for gifts, it's always those photo books that really are the most important. And I've got to just tell you, so you don't even know this page, but <laughs> just last night, Oh no, it wasn't last night. It was the night before. Anyway, a couple recently. of nights. Yeah, recently. Um, dad made, he took all of his parents' old slides. Now that there's an old Ooh. word, slides. Yeah. But he took all of their old slides that they had from when they were, you know, in the military and first married and all this kind of stuff and and pictures that no one had ever seen and he took them all and he got them all digitized and he, he did a lot of the digitizing himself and he put them in scrapbooks for his parents now these were digital scrapbooks that were then printed and mm -hmm. given and given to his dad his his mom has recently passed but the fact that his mom has recently passed and that his dad was able to look through all these i mean we've never heard him talk so much you know <laughs> he's just, a quiet guy he's a quiet guy but but he really was telling oh this was this and this was this and they were like whoa his brain on all this stuff really he remembers this stuff mm -hmm. you know and so he sat with all of his siblings and, and Spencer gave all of his siblings a copy of these books and it was very expensive but so worthwhile just priceless and you know, just for the whole family to sit and look through their pictures together, their photo albums at the same time, it was precious. And it was a precious moment and a precious memory to have with their father. And I was just so proud yeah. of my husband. My husband spent years working on this project and he was able to give it to his family as a gift this year, which was really neat. Mm. So anyway, the, the power of the photo album. Okay. So we could go on about that forever. I mean, <laughs> we could have just had a whole, a whole podcast just about the importance of preserving family memories, Taking photos, sharing <laughs> them together and all of that. Cause yeah, take the pictures first, right? Remember that bit. That's important. And if not gather them up from the people who do, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's important. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about anxiety. Okay. Let's talk about social anxiety. We're going to be talking about anxiety through the lens of self-government. Paige, what is self-government? Let's get everybody caught up to speed there. For sure. Self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. Yeah. And I'm sure so that self-government and, and you being able to control your own behaviors and to understand yourself in that way has helped you in a lot of social situations, right, Paige? Oh, yeah. It's huge. If you know how you work, you know what behaviors you do, and then you make a plan for how to modify them, you are self-governing. And we're going to talk about how to do that with anxiety today. So it's going to be, uh, I think, a really useful conversation, especially because it seems like anxiety, especially social anxiety, is on the rise. Mm -hmm. Now, we could spend an entire podcast talking about why social anxiety is on the rise, because there are multiple factors there mm -hmm. that are leading to it. But we're just going to focus on one of those. Well, other ones could come in. I, I, I'm gonna, I can't just <laughs> narrow us to one. <laughs> But, but we're not going to be exhaustive on this, okay? Because no. there are many reasons 
why people have social anxiety and how come it's on the rise. In fact, some of the causes of just anxiety in general and, and especially this social anxiety that's on the rise are, are some of these. Okay, here's a few reasons that we're seeing. So one is inherited traits, okay? So sometimes a person has anxiety themselves and so you kind of genetically inherit that. But one way that people inherit is by how the environment was in their home with their family or with that parent. So if they had a parent who was anxious and worried and concerned all the time and like, ah, and helicopter and micromanaging and, you know, and coddling everything all the time, then guess what? You inherit anxiety. And that's yeah, and it's more just like you learn that that's what normal people do. Yeah, exactly. And so you don't know it's not normal. In fact, you think everybody else is just scary, you know, like <laughs> these other people that, that do other things are just scary. They're just not smart. They're unsafe, you know, and that's mm-hmm. a term a lot of people use associated with anxiety is they try to bring in the term safe, safety, or what makes me feel safe, except for you can't make yourself feel safe all the time. This is a problem that we have, but a lot of parents will get a little over-focused on safety to the point that their child ends up being obsessed with safety so that the child can't function properly in well, you certain can't ways. grow when you are always in a safe environment. Well, yeah. I mean, and that sounds wrong. Some people are like, what? But um, they have, people have to be exposed to different world problems in order to be able to um, process them and analyze them and learn from them. So I know like I could say I've, I grew up in a very, very safe environment at home, um, you know, we, we were all emotionally connected and there was a lot of communication. Um, but you know, we were purposely exposed and given to, and given opportunities to experience, uh, different situations that made us think, made us analyze, you know, and and mm -hmm. stretch. Yeah. And so you were always there to help us analyze, but you didn't you know, quote unquote, protect us from things that could be considered unsafe. Yeah, I wasn't overprotective. So there is a difference between the safe you're talking about, because sometimes I say, you know, home should be the safest place to make mistakes, right? Right. That's a a really common saying that I say, and it's 100% true, which means that the environment needs to feel like you said, connected, it needs to feel like the teaching is happening the proper way. When people feel comfortable and connected, then they usually have this feeling of safety. Mm -hmm. However, However, there's safety with growth and then there's safety with stagnation, right? And there is a difference between those things. So when you, in our family, we had this, no, try the new thing. We're here. Try the new thing. Oh, yep. You fell down a bit. Pick yourself up. Let's get going. How do you get past that? Let's make a plan for that. Now that was really safe, but it was moving. It was forward action. It It was safe progress. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't. It wasn't, I, I can't do, I can't do because I won't feel safe. I can't do, I have to be stuck right here. Yeah, oh, no, the safety came from knowing that there was a support system to help mm-hmm. you and support you when you did try new things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. So anyway, this is what we're basically saying is one big 
thing that leads to anxiety, whether it's social anxiety or other anxieties, like OCDs are a type of anxiety, okay, that mm -hmm. any, any person can have anxieties, you know, you could have a, a fear of speaking in front of other people, just because nobody ever gave you the chance to speak in front of other people. And you didn't right. know how to cultivate that skill to speak in front of other people, or your parents said, Ooh, I don't sing or I don't speak in front of people. So then you never do it either because you're like, well, yeah, I guess that's not what we do in our family, right? When you could actually have an amazing singing voice. So my husband, he never sang. He was like, no, I played the trumpet. I, I don't sing. I've never sung. You know, I'm not like, he's a way better singer than I am. Way better. <laughs> but I used to sing all the time because my dad sang. Mm -hmm. because my parents would actually sing and my grandparents would actually sing. I didn't mean that we were amazing at it. We just did it. And so I, I wasn't <laughs> worried about it, but he was like, uh, I'm not a singer. And then when his son, when Quinn wanted to go and sing barbershop, I'm like, you got to drive him there. Like you got to be there. With you got to sing. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'll try it out. And he finds out he loves singing and that he's amazing at singing. And he's like, I never knew, you know? <clears throat> so you're like, well, I did. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, there you go. I mean, he loved music. He has great mm -hmm. pitch, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it was really incredible. So yeah. inherited traits, inherited meaning genetic, but also just not genetic, like what you just learned from your family environment. So then comes social grooming. Okay. So lots of times what happens socially uh, with your friends and, and also with the media or pop culture that kind of stuff can train you to have anxiety. So mm -hmm. right now we're not doing a great job as a society of helping people overcome anxieties. What we're doing is we're affirming anxieties. We're, saying, we're actually yep. training people to have them. Yeah, we're saying, yep, you have anxiety or yep, that's definitely anxiety. We're helping people pinpoint all the anxiety. In fact, in some things, just basic nervousness, we're calling it anxiety, which seems like it's a condition instead of like saying, but that's just like the normal, because there's the normal garden variety anxiety that everybody has. Yeah, right? it's like, like, you know, nervousness for a new situation or like, you know, meeting new people or, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I mean, that's you'd normal. never have it. You'd never even had a have a child if you didn't know how to overcome a little bit of normal anxiety because, oh no, what is it going to be like? A, how, how is the birth going to be? How is mm -hmm. the, the, that's all, those are anxious things, right? And there's some oh, people- yeah. I say, probably I, have, I had never do have children while I was pregnant. I'm like, okay, you know, you know, it's my first birth. Okay. And I'm a little nervous about the whole birthing process or, you know, what's going to happen when, you know, my daughter gets here, you know, is, you know, there's, am I going to know what to do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what am I going to be able to take care of her? You know, <laughs> yeah, what if she gets something caught in her nose and I don't know yeah. how to get it out? You know, I mean, I, there's just things. I mean, I still remember the first time you came to me I think it was you. It was either you or London. I, I think it was you. <laughs> and you had a pony bead, bright pink pony bead stuffed up your nose. You had put it up there and you're like, mom, I cannot get this out. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like you knew not to eat the pony beads, but somehow you didn't know to not put them up your nose. <laughs> and I was like, okay, wait, never done this one before. So there's this, like, yeah. this little bit of anxiety that comes in, but I'm like, wait, if I plug the one side, we we kind of don't let it go up, but like make her blow really hard. Like maybe we can get it to come out. You know, so I'm like massaging the thing out, trying to get it out of your nose. And, and, and that's, I mean, you know, there's a lot of little, you know, minor anxieties that come with parenthood or just, you know, phases of life in general. 
yeah oh yeah school college new job you know mm-hmm. all these it's just it's just life like that life is all about overcoming certain things yeah. but what we're doing as a society is we're grooming people to shut down instead of take steps forward and problem solve and, and i do able to think, overcome it yeah i do think that part of the reason is because we're doing a terrible job at teaching problem solving well because we're teaching to avoid the problem exactly all together exactly Paige, you've nailed it. Not only that, but life is so convenient. Like, oh, I want something. I'm going to order it. It'll be here tonight or tomorrow. Like, that's it. Problem Mm -hmm. gone. I just pay and the problem goes away. And so then I guess the people who can't pay what they're stuck without ever getting their problem to be gone because they can't bring in an expert to solve it. And the funny thing is, is some of the experts only know one thing. And so they still go to somebody else (laughs) to solve every (laughs) other problem because they only know how to do Like I'm an expert on this problem. Yeah. Like I will (laughs) fix your nails, but that's it. And like, after that, I don't know how to solve anything. And so everybody that, that leads to this culture where everyone has to be a genius or an expert at something to have value. Yeah. And so everyone else is then non-existent and doesn't really matter because they don't know anything. Yeah. And so then what that could mean is if you're not shining, if you're not this shining person, like, oh, I am the best at hair or I am the best at doing the splits or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, you know, when you're a child, these things matter, right? Or I'm the strongest (laughs) at the gym, you know, whatever. If you don't have something to be the best at, then you, it's like this inferred truth. It feels like that comes to people. That's like, well, then you're not valuable. And what if you're with people and they notice you're not the best at anything. And so then you don't have value and they notice you don't have value and you already know you don't have value. And so then people get down on themselves. So here we go. We're getting into this social trap and it's because of social grooming, because we're not Mm -hmm. even acknowledging the, the journey and the individuality of everybody yeah, and even parents people- are wanting their children to be the best at something They're like I got to find something they can be the best at because yeah. otherwise they'll have a problem what not only if you tell them that that's going to be a problem mm-hmm. or society does yeah and I think if people people have this thing where they get together and they don't try to look for the the possibilities that people have you know the potential they're they're trained to look for oh who's the best at this okay let's follow them or you know I better be the best at this so that I can you know be a leader or you know be popular they won't even try Paige some people will not even try something if they aren't guaranteed to be the best at it Mm -hmm. so like let's say that there's a person who is good at chess okay so there's a game okay I'm good at this game Um, but every time I play this other game with somebody else, maybe it's baseball. I don't catch good. I don't catch good. I don't throw good, but I'm good at chess. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they hook their everything into chess, everything. And they never stretch. They never try baseball. They never try hockey or whatever, ice skating or, you know, because they're focused on winning because they have to be the best. And it's like, because they don't like, can't know you just enjoy the is. fun like just enjoy the experience i know i'm not the best at you know shooting hoops there was a time where i used to you know beat quinn at different shooting games but an actual one-on-one game oh pff, no you know i was no good at actual basketball you know yeah. but i would still play it because it was something that he enjoyed and i'm like okay this will be a really fun time with my brother you know i might lose every single time but it's a game 
it's not even real life. It's an experience. The important part is spending time with family. It's not about winning the game, you know? And so I think a lot of people get focused on the surface level of, oh, I have to win instead of, oh, you know, who am I spending this time with? You know, how can I create this bond with people? They don't think about that. Oh, Paige, this is deep though. What you are bringing up is so good because, because really what you're saying here is that they get focused on self. Mm-hmm. It's a and, very selfish. Anxiety is a focus on self. So, and I, I hate to say the word selfish and anxiety in the same sentence. I know. <laughs> okay. Because, because anxiety is real. It's acute. It hurts. It and there's, there's different, there's different, there's garden variety, but then there's also like the real chronic stuff. That's a real yeah. problem. That's a real like phobia and, and but issues. Like what, we're, what we're trying to say is like a lot of things that people are saying is part of the phobia really isn't. Well, I guess the, I guess the biggest thing, yes, that's true. Like there is, there is real chronic, it. like social anxiety, mm-hmm. but there's also things that we have built up to be quote unquote social anxiety that is, you know, overthinking or selfish thinking or something like that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want it to be taken the wrong way because we do acknowledge that there is, you know, actual social anxiety and how it can be chronic and crippling, but there are things that are being portrayed as part of, you know, social anxiety that can be avoided. Well, and the thing is too, is some people take the garden variety, the everybody has anxiety, anxieties. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to talk in front of a group or whatever. And they, and then they, they go to this place where they, they go selfish on it and, and they can actually turn it chronic. Like I'm never stepping out of that. Never, 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 never. (laughs) And and they can pull back in this controlling way. So really anxiety is this, it it does have a selfish part to it. It does Mm -hmm. because it's a desire to control. So we have to remember that when a person has anxiety, they are feeling stress. Okay. Large amounts of stress that are hitting them and they don't know how to overcome that stress. And so in order to feel like they're in control a little bit, then what they do is they start controlling everything else. Like basically saying no to everybody. No, no, no. So there's a healthy no. And then there's unhealthy no. Right. Right. So you say, you say, no, you don't get to touch me like that or talk to me like that. That's a healthy no. That's setting a boundary. Right. Mm Um, or no more chocolate, you know, or whatever. <laughs> no more sweets. I'm not eating any more Self-government sugar. Government no. It's a, it's a no. Okay. It's a healthy no. But then there are people who are just saying no because they never want to overcome the anxiety. They don't want to deal with it. Or they don't want to see it. Zone. They don't want to address it. Uh-uh. And they want to control everybody else so that they don't have to stretch and grow. Mm-hmm. And that is a very unhealthy no. And the thing is, is we are catering to that unhealthy no right now, which is not good. So we got into what causes anxiety and social anxiety. These are a few things. Um, brain structure is another one. I, that could be a whole call or a whole <laughs> podcast. So we're not going to do that one. Um, but there's also some environmental training that's happening. So like fitting in with friends, uh, right now having anxiety is like the norm, the social norm. So everyone has always had anxiety, everyone, every single person, this is not a new thing. Okay. But the term anxiety was never used unless it got to a really unhealthy level, but we are now calling everybody having anxiety and people will talk about their anxieties as if it's the most important part of who they are. And then young children and and teens, especially and tweens, you know, what they're doing is they are bonding to each other through their anxieties. And so it's like a a common 
common ground for a lot of people. Yeah, it's like, oh, you like the color purple? Me too. Oh, you're anxious? Me too. It's like the same. It's, <laughs> and, and so it, it is, and it's not, it's not. So we're, we're treating anxiety very trivially. We're categorizing a lot of things as real diagnosed, like chronic disorder type anxiety when it's just a fear. And that, that's totally different. So a fear of heights is an anxiety but it doesn't have to be crippling. Okay. So I have and a fear it of probably heights. doesn't have to be medicated either. Yeah. I have a fear of heights. I have a fear of tight places. Okay. So I'm a bit mm -hmm. claustrophobic. Like Same. these are fears that I have. If somebody is sitting on me, I'm like, I can only handle it for so long. And then I'm like, that's it. You know, because <laughs> I, I do not like to be smashed that this is just, just a thing with me. Yeah. And so, um, so I have those fears, and, but I can, can also tell myself, okay, I'm fine. Like I can be fine. Everyone's standing yeah. here at the Grand Canyon. No one is falling. It's okay. Well, so we actually had a recent experience with like something like that. Cause I know when our family went to Puerto Rico and we were at our hotel and we had just gotten back from the beach, we we're all in the elevator and it suddenly decided to shut down. For an hour, for a for whole an, hour, we were stuck we were in there for an hour. Wrapped in there in our swimsuits, and we had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was interesting though because we both have a fear of claustrophobia, but you handled mm -hmm. it extremely well. Mm -hmm. And then for me, you know, I had to do some deep breathing in the corner for probably a good 10, 15 minutes before I was, you know, and close your open. eyes. You had to close your eyes uh -huh. so you weren't like thinking about it. Yep. Uh huh. But actually, yep. I had I had mentally prepared myself for years. Like if I ever get trapped in an elevator, <laughs> it's bound to happen one of these days. <laughs> I will get trapped in an elevator. And if I do, what am I going to do? What am I going to think? I had the anxiety thoughts come. And then I said, no, I am with people here. There's a button that says call. I can push the button. We have someone who speaks Spanish. That is good. Yeah. We can talk to the people that on the other side of the button. <laughs> we, you know, we're, it's fine. I, it's going to be fine. And so I just told myself, let it go. Don't think about it. Start talking about the people, thinking about the people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think if I were, was probably was by myself, it would have been a little harder. I would have had to close my eyes for a minute too and take some breaths probably yeah but, so but there but the thing is is there's strategies right for how yeah. to handle it so we well, i think the fact that you had thought of this ahead of time like obviously you can't foresee every situation that you're ever no. going to be in that could cause anxiety but you're like you know this is a possibility and i've seen it happen you know like whether it be in movies or whatever but you're like okay if this did ever happened to me this is what i would do you know, mm -hmm. and you just had that thought. And that was something that you had thought of even just for a couple minutes, you know, mm -hmm. whether it was years ago or recently, and then it happened. You're like, Oh yeah, I thought about this already. I know what I'm going to do. I am ready. But, but that is one of our key things, right? Prepare. Yeah. What does it mean to be self-governed? What does it mean to be self-governed? You prepare ahead yeah. of time. You say what's coming, what could come? How am I going to relate to that? What mm -hmm. skills do I need to have in place? What mindset do I have? How do I need to prepare myself mentally? That is all self-government. That yeah. is all self-government. So then we don't need to get 
trapped in our fears and phobias. So there's there's some information about just anxiety in general, but we've got to switch our gears to social anxiety here. And mm-hmm. I'm just foreseeing this is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good topic though. So <laughs> it is, it's a really good topic. And I think it's so timely because especially like I've been mentioning, in society, the the youth are dragging each other into a diagnosis that is not a diagnosis. There, mm-hmm. it's a trend to have anxiety. I've actually heard young girls say to their parents because the parents have told me, you know, my child was with some friends from the church, and basically, um, they they have said they don't fit in with anybody because they don't have any anxiety or depression or processing problems. And so they feel like they can't fit in. I actually understand where they're coming from because I had a roommate a while back who had anxiety and, um, it was, you know, kind of coupled with some depression and, um, she felt like she couldn't connect with anyone because the rest of us in the apartment were like, uh, we're, we're cool. We're good. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) cause we all were, you know, I guess you could say quote unquote grown up enough, um, or we had learned skills to not have to worry about those things. You know, if we did have, if we did feel anxious, we talked to someone about it, you know, mm-hmm. or we would go to each other and be like, Hey, you know, what about this? Or, Hey, you know, I'm a little scared about this. Do you have any tips for me? Mm-hmm. You know, we, I think this is really important. We looked outside to see where we could improve and to see where we could find a door to get out of, you know, our anxious feelings instead of try to wallow in it and not even look for a way out. Yeah. Well, and I think when we're talking about friends dragging each other into it too, I think that, you know, we have this, this situation, just like you're talking about where there's some people with skills and other people who maybe don't have the skills yet. So we need to help them learn the skills. And we're going to talk about that today, um, especially for social anxiety situations, because that's our kind of main focus today, because it is such a problem that people are facing. However, the people with anxiety do have some responsibility. And I think that's important because what you're saying is, listen, we were trying to help this person as roommates. You were all trying to help this person, be understanding of this person. She's got anxiety. She's got depression. But because she was not willing to accept how all the rest of you were, she would get herself worked up into a problem a lot. And mm-hmm. to, Oh yeah. Well, you don't get it. Well, you don't understand. Well, you don't feel the same as me because she wanted everyone to feel the same as her. She wanted everyone to be more down in the dumps with her. Yeah, because misery loves company, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing. So she wanted people to feel miserable. And if they didn't feel enough miserable with her, then she didn't feel like anyone got her or understood her. But then what she's doing is she's controlling. So then she would be she would be controlling all of the other people's moods. So a person who has anxiety, whether it's social anxiety or otherwise, or depression or whatever they might be dealing with, and and no matter what level it is, they do have a responsibility to say, just because I have depression doesn't mean that everybody else has to come to me. Mm-hmm. I need to see myself going toward other people too. I need to see myself reaching past this and, and trying to understand how everybody else is okay. And that's okay. It's okay yeah. for them to be okay because it's a very selfish thing to think that everybody has to come to your miserable spot in order to connect with you or be close to you. And so this is a yeah. problem that we're facing and it is dragging a lot of young people through a lot of junk that they would not normally have to go through because they don't know how to bond with each other without pity when they don't know how to say no you know and to say no I don't want to emotionally participate in that I mean obviously people don't really say that out loud per se but 
um, when someone comes to you trying to drag you in, it's, it's, it's okay to say, you know, uh, you know, I'm sorry you feel that way. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to give you some advice, but other than that, I, I can't stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. And, and we have to help move each other forward. That's what friends really are for. I mean, they understand they can care, but they have to help the person move forward. Just going to where they are and dropping backward in your own progression does not help anybody. It just gets yeah. two people stuck. It's, it's, like, it's, it's okay to go help. knock on their door and see if they're okay, but it's yeah. not always okay to go in and sit down. Yeah, exactly. I think it's true. That's a good analogy. Okay. So let's talk about social anxiety. So when we say social anxiety, we're talking about phobia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Social phobia. So normal social anxiety is like, oh, I am afraid of seeing these people that I haven't seen for a long time, or, you know, maybe being in a social situation that's like, oh, which fork do I use at the dinner (laughs) For an etiquette dinner. (laughs) Exactly. So, so that's a, I would say that's more of your normal garden variety, social anxiety. Anybody can feel or that, like, right? you know, going to college or, you know, a new phase of life. Yeah. Yeah. Dating a new guy, you know, yeah. or something going on a date with a new person, whatever. Okay. So what is not normal social anxiety? So if you have social phobia and it is not normal social anxiety and it's trending toward either the trendy version of social anxiety or the real deal where you're diagnosed and you've got uh, a real you know, condition, um, this would be fear of everyday situations. Like, oh no, what if someone talks to me and I'm not prepared to talk back? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's, how, it's like, well, you're a person and they're a person, like people talk, that's what happens, mm-hmm. you know, or, or um, other just normal things. Like, what if I go to the store and someone doesn't like my outfit? Well, how would you ever know that number one, that someone doesn't like your outfit at the store or, you know what I mean? Like it's this, I have to look perfect. Yeah. It's Um, it's a fear of either messing up or not being enough for everyone. It is. It's a fear of being judged. So basically, and this is, this is a, a thing that afflicts judgmental people. And I want, I don't want to say judgmental, like, but people who judge, you know how there's people who are just judges. They look at pieces and they compare, they look at pieces and they compare. They're just people who are judges. They judge. So people who are naturally judges automatically assume everyone's judging them. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's because they're judging everyone else around them. So they assume that everyone else is doing the same thing. Right. When in reality, that's probably not the case a lot of the time. And if it is, they need to hang around people that aren't so shallow. Right. I mean, (laughs) that's just because, because they see differences and they, they notice one person's maybe prettier than another person, or one person's outfit is more expensive than another person's or one person's smarter or one person's more talented at the gym or, you know, whatever it is, because they notice the difference, they assume everyone's thinking bad about them because they aren't the top. Remember how we Mm -hmm. talked about that they have to be the best, right? And so they're afraid of not being seen as the best. They know they're not the best. They don't want other people to know they're not the best. So this can also be because they're trying to live some sort of a lie. It's like a false reality, which social media caters to, okay? Snapchat, social media, all these things, they cater to looking perfect when you know you're not. Yep. Or looking creative or looking talented or looking witty or looking smart or looking like you're clued in or that you know about this particular um, social or political topic better than everybody else, you know, whatever it is. Or the complete opposite where you're doing apps like, you know, there's a whole 
channel that's dedicated to people's fails, you know, fail army or something like that. It's like, and you know, can you, can you do better? Can you fail harder than me? Yeah. And like, and the grunge group, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And, and now can you look as gross as I do and still <laughs> put your face on social media? You know, can you, can you show as much of your, but either way, it's flabby body and being the best at either failing or being the best at succeeding. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people try to be the best at failing because they're like, well, that's easier, you know, at least for a minute, I could be the best until there's another fail that inspires me. And then I'll try harder (laughs) to be worse. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. It's such a mental game that everybody's playing with each other. And so it leads to these negative interactions within your own head with other people. So you're afraid of being evaluated negatively by other people. And that leads to your own feelings of inadequacy, inferiority, self-consciousness, embarrassment, humiliation. So it stops you from wanting to interact with other people. You just don't want to even have the interactions because you're like, well, what could they think? And I already feel bad enough about myself. And if I think that they might think bad about me, then I'm going to feel worse about me. But if that's all in your own head, it's not even like true, yeah. right? Well, and then there's the whole anxiety about like, oh, people are going to see that I'm anxious. Oh yeah. I, that I don't, that I'm not confident. Yeah. That I have flaws. That I'm not com- Yeah. Not confident in who I am or what I do. Yeah. It's- and I don't want them to see that people are human. People make mistakes. (laughs) So it's really like, again, a fear of being judged, a fear of not being seen as perfect. Yeah. No, I, I had this moment the other day, we had a big family party and I I said multiple things that were just, well, I, I, you know, sometimes you just say things and you're like, did I just say it like that? Like, why did I say it like that? I should have thought that out anyway. And then we're just kind of like, people are just like okay and the queen like okay you know and occasionally that happens I try not to have that happen I try to think things out ahead of time you know if I can but but I didn't even see one of them coming like so we have these cousin shirts and all the cousins wear these cousin shirts and it's so fun because we will print new ones every so often and they have their cousin numbers on them and they when they get together they wear it which is so fun and anyway so I have two nephews that are twins okay and these two nephews are twins were standing there and they're wearing cousin shirts they look exactly the same right because they're twin the the, the shirts are exactly the same they're identical twins so I did not even factor into the fact that they are actually twins at that minute okay (laughs) they're actually twins and so I'm talking to and I'm like oh you guys are twins and they're like yeah and yeah no duh yeah (laughs) and I was like oh yeah I mean like you're you know with the shirts but like also I'm like oh my goodness that was just the dumbest you know I'm like it was just so and they're like what 15 16 years old (laughs) I know they're like yeah funny one I'm like I wasn't even trying to be funny that was the best part about it I was like I was serious yeah And so I, th- I just thought it was hysterical. Anyway, afterward, I'm like, you guys, I didn't even see that coming. Like, I like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. But if I were, but if I were like worried about my social interactions, you know, then I'd be like humiliated that I did that. Oh, how could that come off like that? But instead I was like, yeah, classic ant humor right there. Classic. <laughs> 
I'm like, that one will go down. Just remember I said that, you know, why not just own it? Right. Like, okay. You know what? It happened such as it is. Let's move on, you know? And I mean, that's just the way you have to do. You can't sit and stew on it forever. Yeah. You weren't stressed about it because I think it's, I think it's because you're confident in like, even if you do make a mistake in conversation, you're like, well, you know, I'm going to own it. If I said it, I said it, you know, that's just what happens. But mm-hmm. we're just going to move on. And, you know, I'm going to apologize if I offend someone or I'm just going to, you know, like you did with, you know, the twins just be like, oh, sorry. That is funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I think the thing there is confidence. So social confidence. Yeah. So we got to talk about how do we, how do we impact, you know, help someone develop so- social confidence. Okay. So, um, so we've been talking about anxiety, social anxiety, this stress, it, it really affects our relationships. It can affect our daily interactions with people. It can start to shut people down. Okay? Because it takes a lot of energy. And so if you're going to stress mm-hmm. about things, you start not wanting to be in situations that could be stressful. Totally. Because and then, you're like, well, why would I do that? I don't want, I, I don't want to be tired. If exactly. And if this drain, this social drain, this fear, this stress about social and interacting with other people becomes chronic. Okay. If you start thinking of it every time, if you can't ever break past it, then that's when you actually have developed a mental condition. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when it's chronic, if it's chronic, then it's a mental condition. Okay. So there's some people that are like, well, I didn't get anxiety that time, but I got anxiety this time. Then you know what that means? You actually have a lot more control over it than you think. And you can prepare yourself for success so that that doesn't have to be a problem for you anymore. I have met so many people who have told me triumphantly, I have overcome my social anxiety. Mm -hmm. I have overcome my desire to just stay in my house and never go anywhere. And now I'm getting a job and I'm doing something with myself. How liberating is that? It's not having to worry about what other people think. It's enormous. And, and it's possible. And I think that's the message I would love to give to everybody is Mm -hmm. it's possible whether it's just the normal variety, social anxiety, or it's the chronic you're at disorder level. A person can do something about it. And guess what? Here's the cool thing is the skills that you need are pretty much the same skills. So this is the beauty. (laughs) This is the beauty that the solution does not have to be different. I think a lot of people think that if they have, if their stress is more acute, if it seems more debilitating, then actually their stress must need some different type of a treatment or different skills, Mm -hmm. but actually it doesn't. So a skill, if it is a, if it's based on a principle, then it should work for everything. Now that doesn't mean that you're not going to have to like repeat it, work at it, fine tune it, but it should work for everything. If you have the right principle. Okay. So, so let's just be really clear. A coping mechanism that does not work is catering to low self-confidence catering or coddling. Yeah. A coddling is a word for that. Allowing a person to just shut down. That is not going to help them. That is not a skill or a coping mechanism that is going to ever create success. It may help them feel in control for a minute because they're controlling everybody else by declining to participate in anything. 
but it hurts them in the end. So what do we need to give them instead to overcome? We need to give the person that we're trying to help. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's ourself. Maybe it's the child that we're working with. We need to give the person with the social anxiety issues truths that they can hold on to in order to overcome and develop that better confidence. Cause that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. So the more and more that our world has become about self, the lower the self-confidence has gone. Have you noticed that? Because if you that's see, if you see like we are feeding the self, well, what do you want? Well, what do you, you do? Well, what's your genius? Well, what's your desire there? Well, you, 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 self, 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 well, I need, well, me, well, my day, well, my refuel, well, my, 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 the mm -hmm. more we worry about self, the more we get into a protective mode about ourselves and we stop caring about how we connect with other people. And we only care about ourselves, which then lowers our self-confidence because then we're never ready to interact with other people or to step I think, out. I think confidence really comes from from trying to build others up and having them reciprocate that because mm -hmm. when you have a society that cares about each other more than themselves then you're more focused on you know talking to other people and saying oh my gosh you know you did amazing um and then saying oh my goodness you know that other day when you did this that was so awesome you know and just building each other up and but yeah, like you're saying today, people are just worried about, oh, you know, did I do this? Okay. You know, fishing for compliments or worried about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that creates very, very, very low self-confidence because they're not, they're just worried about how they can make themselves better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about what people need to develop better confidence. Okay. Self-confidence. And, and that's really the angle I'm taking. Cause I already know within the teaching self-government program that it is, it is a, perfect recipe for developing confidence. Mm -hmm. And so when we recognize that social anxiety is actually low self-confidence because we're feeling like everybody's judging us and we're not focusing outward as much, we're focusing too much inside over processing there, but that's ruining our confidence. Then we can say, well, what pieces do we have in place to help develop confidence? So if you're already on your self-government journey, you've been implementing teaching self-government skills and principles in your home, then this is going to be great because you're going to say, okay, now I know the pieces that really are going to help with the low self-confidence. And I've got to make sure that I'm consistent on those pieces in my family. But if you have yeah. not started implementing any self-government principles or skills in your home yet, then you're going to get a taste of how this program that we teach really can help you with what you're dealing with in your family. And so, can we just mention again what you said? Because I think it's really important. You know, this, this social anxiety is really just low self-confidence, not the chronic kind. You no, know, it that's, is. That's even that, but. even that is though, Paige, even that is because people start to have the condition, the chronic condition, because they feed it for too long or oh, okay. they can have a processing thing in the brain. Okay. That is another thing that can happen. They yeah. can be trained by a person like a parent to have a chronic condition. They can feed their own chronic thoughts too much and never allow themselves to see past it. Um, so they should be asking themselves questions like, wait, this, I, this feels true, but what else is true? Okay. So mm -hmm. they should be pushing past that, but if they just feed it themselves or they've been trained in it or, or it's a brain condition. Okay. That's how we're going to get to chronic. So, okay. so, those yeah. are our, so, but even there though, 
even there, even if you're in a chronic state and it's a condition that's from a brain development, your brain has a habit of processing in a selfish way or, mm-hmm. and your brain has a habit of not being confident. And so what can you do to develop that confidence? And so these things that we are talking about, that I, these things I'm going to be suggesting will work for the chronic condition, as well as the just normal garden variety mm-hmm. anxiety that we all deal with every single day. So one thing I've already mentioned, okay, truth is important. Okay. It's vitally important for overcoming anxiety. This is a big deal. And this so, isn't just like your truths, like you do you. Yeah, because that's not truth. No. Yeah, that's subjectivism made into religion. That is, <laughs> and it's Coca-Cola or whatever, no. okay? It's advertising. <laughs> it's advertising that leads you to buy more of them, okay? That's what it's yeah. for. Truth okay, is so. things that are always true no matter what. Yeah, a hundred. truth is everlasting. Truth is going to be there for you. You will find it everywhere. And you'll say, oh, there it is again, the importance of, you know, uh, I don't know, forgiveness or something. Okay, that's a truth, right? Forgiveness leads to freedom for you and the person you forgave. There's a truth for you. That is a truth that will be there forever. Once you forgive, you find freedom. Boom. That's it. So, so truth is super important. So when a person is catering to their low self-confidence and their anxiety and stuff like that, they are oftentimes buying lies. Like they're, they're internalizing and lies. the wrong information. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're assuming things and then they're saying, this is true. This is true. But it's so important to teach a person to ask another question right then to say, wait, I'm feeling anxious. This is a clue I have to how I feel anxious and help them understand those cues. What does their body do when they feel anxious? What does their brain think when they feel anxious, you know, and then say, okay, so now stop yourself and say, okay, this just is anxiety. And that's because I think that this is true right now. It feels true, but what else could be true? So when we're talking social anxiety, okay, right now, I don't look very good. People might see, I don't look very good right now because maybe I just got out of bed or whatever. Okay. So that might be one thing that's true. People might see that you don't look good right now, but what's another truth that we could focus on? Another truth is that everybody has moments when they don't look good. And when they just got out of bed, and I think everybody accepts that and nobody would judge me for that because we all have our moments like that. Yeah. But that's really, that's stepping outside of the emotional, which a lot of people haven't been trained to do. They don't have the skills to do that. They don't know that that's even, you know, recommended. You might have to give someone the words to think. You might yeah, have to and say, so, what's your normal think? Well, let's give yeah. you a new something in that moment. They need that information and they need those experiences where someone is helping them analyze and helping mm-hmm. them go through that. And then experiences on their own where they can do that and you know think about what's going on inside their own mind. Yeah. So what you're saying, there's two key things people need. And these were things that I had to prepare for for the elevator incident. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's two key things they need. They need information about elevators or about, (laughs) about social settings. Okay. They need information about how they work and what's going on. So you need to say, when do you get that thought? And let's talk about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they need experiences. They need to have opportunities to do something new. A person will never overcome social anxiety if they do not have to step out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It won't go into anxious situations. 
Mm -hmm. They have to, they have to come face to face with those anxieties. And sure, you may baby step a person through it. You may say, I'm going to do this little baby step today. And then tomorrow I'm going to do more and more and more. So I have a dear friend who has a son who is autistic, like very autistic, and he does not do social. Okay. Because he's, so we're talking brain processing here. Okay. So they decided they were going to be religious people and they were going to start coming to church. Okay. Now she's like, I don't know how I'm going to get my son to come to church. Like that's going to be, I would have to move mountains to, to get this (laughs) to happen, but he believes this religion. Nicolene, she says, he believes it so much, but I don't know how I'm going to get him there. And I said, well, let's just do a bit by bit approach. And she said, it's amazing, Nicolene, these people from the church, they keep reaching out to him. They'll come over, they talk to him, they, you know, and and he's getting to know them. So it's a bit by bit, new social, Mm -hmm. new social. And she's like, now my son is at the stage where he's like, dressed and ready to go to church before anybody else. And he's like, mom, we are going to be late. We need to be there. And she's like, and now he's like leading out in his, in his youth group, he's got leadership positions and everything. She's like, I never thought I would see the day that my son could do this. And I'm like, see, he's got autistic, his his autism, heavy autism does not do social, but look what was able to happen over a period of time. Because he's given those experiences. It took months for him to fully get there and to make it happen, but but part of him wanted it enough because he really decided he loved God enough. You know? Well, and sometimes when oh. people are given a taste of what certain skills can do for them, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Yeah. Even you though know? it's still scary at first, they're willing to like, they're given a little bit of a little bit more. They can see it, you know, they can see a finish line. Mm-hmm. So anyway, just a beautiful thing. And sometimes just those, and this is where the friends can help, you know, mm-hmm. the friends, the associates, they can say, Hey, it's okay. Come on, come do this with us, you know, and not put so much pressure. Cause that leads to more anxiety, but like a bit where they say, we really want you there. Well, maybe next time you'll want to join us, but just know we'll miss you. And then they go and do it anyway. They don't coddle to it. They don't say we're not going to do they go do it anyway. Mm-hmm. This is so important. So the person knows I, okay, I got to get ready to do it next time. Like I'm missing something. I've got to. Yeah. And, and so this is so important. So they need information and experiences. This is super important. We might need to train the brain a little bit and to discuss what's happening inside the brain and in the body so mm-hmm. that they can prepare themselves for the future. But once they, they follow through on that prep work a couple of times, those experiences then increase their capacity. Okay. Yeah, well, I think just like talking about the boy that you mentioned, you know, once he was doing that bit, but he got more information, he had some more experiences with more people and suddenly mm-hmm. he was able to do all of these things, his capacity totally increased you know he was able to do so much more and I think that's so important because I think a lot of times we limit ourselves and we say oh I can't do that you know I've never done that before I can't do that Mm -hmm. and so but when you're confident in who you are and confident in the skills that you know you have you can say okay this is what I have this is the situation I'm presented with what do I have that can help me in this situation Mm -hmm. so this is actually something that I had to do recently um I was asked to plan a Christmas program at our church. And, you know, that's like a 40 minute program full of um, musical numbers and narration and whatever else. And they're like, Hey, can you plan this for us? I'm like, I sure. And I guess, you know, I've never done this before. I've never been You're in like a of- newlywed with a baby <laughs> with, and with like, a two month old Christmas program. <laughs> You're like, all right. 
And so, you know, they came to me because like, well, we know you have a lot of musical experience. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's different than, you know, directing whole program and putting it all together experience. But instead of saying, no, I can't do that. You know, I said, okay, well, what's kind of the framework that you have for this? Do you have any ideas for what you want? No. Okay, fine. Well, this is what I think would be good. You know, let's, let's throw some ideas together and let's try it. And it ended up being a really, really great experience, you know, slightly on the stressful side, especially because we showed up just a little late. So, (laughs) but um, it all worked out great. And, you know, multiple people came up afterwards and they said, wow, that was an amazing program. You know, thank you so much for putting that together. Um, you know, and part of that program, I was asked to direct the the church choir, which I had, again, never done before, you know, and so that was a whole new experience, but um, I just took it piece by piece, bit by bit, day by day, and I said, okay, this is what needs to happen. Here's my skills. Let's go. And so- I love that. So even though, you know, there was high potential for failure, apparently, because I had never done it before and the people asking me to do it didn't know what they were doing, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're like, great. I'm like, no guidance. Okay, cool. I'll just go. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's because I was just like, well, what do I have? Let's put it together. Let's run it by them. See if they think it's okay. You know, cause they were kind of in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. And if not, then we'll go back to the drawing board. There's no harm in that you know, and let's just go for it. Well, see, you gave yourself words to think that we're not going to shut you down. Well, yeah. if worst case scenario, this is how I'll handle it. You, you prepared the brain ahead of time. And this is a skill to be able to do this. The other thing, and I, I'm not going to say this to, to toot my horn at all, um, because I, I have to credit my parents, but you were raised actually by people who just do stuff. Yeah, no, you right? and dad are both very much doers. And we just do stuff. Wait, what? You didn't sit happen? there and be like, oh man, you know, this, this is going to be so hard. You know, you're just like, okay, well, this is a new situation. Could be difficult. Well, these are the skills I have. And uh, so we're just going to go for it. And we're going to use these skills when they become needed. Yeah. So my dad um, and my mom were the type of people like, hey, can you write this curriculum to my dad? Yes, I I will. It's needed. I'll do it. Um, Mm -hmm. Hey, can you teach at this this garden fair for like the whole county? Yeah, sure. I guess I will, says my mom, you know, and they they didn't second guess. They're like they feel like, well, when you're asked to do something, you do it. And I will have to say in our religion, um, we are called to do a lot of things. And I do think this really does help us as far as overcoming some of these anxious things. Um, because from the time the children are very tiny, they're like four years old and they're asked to speak in front of the little youth ministry, which we call primary. Give little and, talks. <laughs> yeah. And so, and they give a little talk or they share a little scripture or they say a prayer in front of the group with everyone, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and they sing in front of the whole big, you know, the, the full congregation, like once a year at Christmas time sometimes even twice a year, Mother's Day or whatever, they have a little youth choir, you know, and they, they <laughs> sing and they do. And so they have all these little opportunities to serve all the time. And everybody in our church just serves like, like the, the head, you know, our ecclesiastical leader says to someone, so like me, Hey, will you lead the, the group for all of the young girls that are ages 12 to 18? Will you help them? And will you lead that group and be the president of that organization? And I'm like, Yes, I will. I mean, it doesn't mean I, I wouldn't ever say no, but I feel like 
you know what, this is a good opportunity to serve. I'm going to serve. So in our religion, we serve in our family. I always saw my parents serve. I always served. I would always step out. Now there is a balance between doing too much though. Cause there are some people that neglect their priorities because they get going too much in that direction. Right. Mm-hmm. But you did see parents who balanced it well, who, um, who did serve. And so then I think it's beautiful. Like to me, it's a glory as a mother to see that you just took that on that whole program that you're like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. New baby and everything. Sure. I'll just do this (laughs) where a lot of people would think, no, you got every excuse in the world. You're young. You've got a baby. You're, you're newlywed. You're, you're busy with stuff and you know, you're doing all these other things, teaching self-government or whatever you're busy. You don't have to, but no, you just said, I guess I can take it on. Guess what? You know, you need help. You asked me and if I have time, yeah, I have time. Let's make time. Let's do it. Yeah. So I got to grow, right? I got to grow. Okay. So I want to share a quick uh, image. This is just bonus material, but it it really (laughs) relates to what we're talking about here. So I oftentimes talk about a right triangle, like how a right triangle shows us how we grow our capacity. Okay. So if you draw a right triangle on a piece of paper or something, you see that there's the vertical line and there's the horizontal line. Of course, they're completely perpendicular to each other. And then you have the hypotenuse line that hooks those two lines together. So the hypotenuse line represents our capacity. Okay. And, and, the length or the, you know, how much volume of capacity we have. Now this right triangle, if you draw the little, the little half of a little square there in the corner, um, that represents being solid. Okay. In our foundation, being right with, with God, uh, with yourself, with your family, with your foundation, with truth, really. Okay. With truth. So, cause remember truth is something that's going to lead to more self-confidence, especially if you're following truth, everyone wants that. And that's why they get so into politics and everything else. And sadly, then they find out they've been had, you know, but anyway, so, um, so truth, super important. So if our truth is solid right there, then our two lines that hook to that truth will end up leading to increased capacity. So what are the two lines, the, the line, the vertical line it represents our skills, our skill development that we have. Okay. The horizontal line represents our experiences that we have. And so if we have experiences and we point back to truth, like, wait, what do I learn from that experience? Or we learn a skill that is based upon truth. Okay. That this is huge. Cause then if we get more skills, what happens to our capacity line, it grows. So if you grow that skill line, grow it up, then that capacity line gets bigger. If we have more experiences, so if you grow that horizontal line out, what happens to the capacity line? All of a sudden it gets bigger. Our capacity grows. So Paige, you were trained with a family who gave you tons of experiences, but we also were heavy into skill development. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to your capacity as a normal 23 year old woman, um, you probably have more capacity than some people who are double your age, just because of how you were raised. So this is a big thing. So let's talk about some of these skills and some of these experiences that we need to do. Now, we've already spent some time talking about truth and how important that is that we get the thoughts because that information can lead to experiences where they can challenge a thought. Wait, I'm having a doubt. I'm doubting. I can't do this. Wait, I'm going to doubt my doubt. Mom says, (laughs) doubt my doubt. Mom says, ask another question about what else could be true in this situation. And wait, I remember I planned that I was going to think of this in this situation. So boom, that is experience and skill development coming together in one minute when it's needed most. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's just huge. Okay. So people need work and adult skills in order to increase their confidence in the teaching self-government program. 
We talk about working together as a family. We talk about daily chores. We talk about a person giving the opportunity, getting the opportunity to earn extra chores as part of accepting their consequences and corrections and, and how, what it looks like to really accept those consequences, meaning you wouldn't do the, the chore or the work with an attitude problem, right? Because the heart's always the most important thing and having that connection. So work is huge. That's a big part of becoming confident and learning adult skills. So we do a lot of skills training, the four basic skills that a person needs for success, five skills that a parent needs for teaching. The children learn these skills, meeting skills, how to meet together and talk to people as a family, how to discuss touchy subjects as a family. That's huge. If you have individual one-on-one -on -one meetings with your children, what does that do? That leads to their, their skill development. If you have mm -hmm. family meetings where it's a group together discussing and they have to come to a decision as a group in a calm way what does that do for their their confidence in every other social situation it's enormous yeah so but also adult skills outside of that such as like cooking you know or oh yeah working outside and there were i was uh, reading something from someone and they said you know kids don't have to do chores and i'm like what like, Wait a minute. Mayday, yeah. mayday, crash, crash. <laughs> they said, you know, if you make your kids do chores, you're just exploiting them. I'm like, excuse me? Like, whoa, what a concept. Okay, I know. And so they're like, you're an entitled adult, you know, making your children do chores. I'm like, okay. Um, well, or you are allowing the child to develop entitlement. See, that's the funny thing is, because yeah. um, you could think of it that way. I mean, maybe there's some taskmaster parent out there. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm wondering if the yeah, person who said be... that was 17 and didn't want to make their bed, but, you know, <laughs> but no, no, people actually think that they do. And, and, I, and I think how crazy is that mindset that, that, so there is a time when you teach entitlement and then later you tell the parent, don't you be entitled after you raise a child <laughs> to not have to do anything and be entitled. The only way teach to teach them any emotional skills or physical skills or yeah. anything. The, and you know what? You, you basically imprison them. It's a life of bondage and then punish because they don't do because they don't know anything. They don't know how to do anything. They can't sew a button on. They can't shovel their own driveway. They can't. So what? They're in your basement until they're 45 and you die and they <laughs> inherit your house. What, what, what is going to happen? I mean, that person has now become fragile. They are a victim of everything that happens to them. Um, yeah. All because you didn't want to quote unquote be entitled. That's crazy. It's messed up because teaching someone. So when I... Here's the deal. If I were to clean the kitchen, I could do it way faster than, than you could have when you were 10. Okay. Oh, For sure. hundred percent. If I was going to make dinner, it was probably going to taste better and be quicker being made than when you were going to do it. But I was so giving and caring about you that I wanted you to have those but you skills. Also had to the so I sacrificed my own time by, by waiting and helping you go through it. Yeah. No, like, you know, 10, 12 years ago, you were looking at the future saying, okay, my daughter is going to be on her own at college. Mm -hmm. My daughter is going to one day be married and have a family. Mm -hmm. She's going to need to learn how to clean a house, how to cook food, because other, otherwise I would then be taught, well, you just pay money for someone else to do it, or you go out to eat all the time. Yeah. I wanted you to be free. Yeah. 
I wanted my children to be free, which means they have to know how to do it all themselves. Mm -hmm. If I do everything for them, they're not free. Now, would, it wouldn't be kind for me to assume a child should do a task without me ever training them on how to do it. I would never do that. Yeah. So no, that's training. Well, and that, that is mean because that increases anxiety okay, yeah. <laughs> for a person. Like why increase the anxiety? Needlessly? It's entitled you know? of you to expect us to know how to do it without ever being taught. <laughs> there you go. So then I'm not honoring my role, but guess what? This all goes back to roles. So parents do have to teach adult skills because that's their role to train the children, to teach the children. Okay. So other things within the teaching self-government program that really help a person be able to overcome social anxiety in particular particular um, are having a calm environment to problem solve in. So if the environment is too dramatic, too volatile, then that makes a person shut down. They go to the wrong part of their brain and they don't learn how to problem solve. So yeah. if a parent wants to help their child learn to problem solve, then they've got to work on calmness themselves and calmness with the children and have that kind of be the gold standard for the That's family. That's why we emphasize that so much. Yeah, get to calmness, and then we do our proper problem solving. And and how great that we have the sodas exercises. So sodas exercises, it's a problem solving exercise that we talk about in our family that we use in our family to help people learn to solve their problems better. This is all part of the course. And when a person can go through the different options that they have, the disadvantages, the advantages, their brain goes front instead of back into the emotional, and they can think through their problem and prepare for the future better which is awesome. So another thing is goal setting. We do a ton of goal setting in our meetings. We goal set as a group, but we also do goal setting in our individual mentor meetings that we have with our children. And this is huge. In these meetings, they set the goals with us, but they're also held accountable, which means we're going to follow up. We're going to have meetings where we check up again and again on how they're doing, and we're going to help them move forward. It's not about shame, tearing anybody down, guilt, you know, for like, oh, I mean, if they feel a little bit of guilt, like that happens when you set a goal sometimes and you don't accomplish it. But like, we just help them say, okay, let's move forward from here. You know, it's not like beating somebody up because they're, and whenever we do a correction, there's no negative emotion there. We just do the correction and we help them get back on track. Right. Mm -hmm. So holding someone accountable is important. Do you know, a lot of people who have social anxiety and who have low self-confidence, they get this because they do, they are not held accountable to anybody else. And so, and so this is another sign that they're in a selfish state. If it's all about you, then you don't feel you're accountable to any other people in your life, which is your family and, and all the other people around you, you know? So, yeah. Well, and I think it's important to note that too, that when you set goals and when you're held accountable to someone, you actually make really good connections with those people, mm -hmm. you know, because then you have a you, you have some common ground with them, mm -hmm. you know, because when a child sets a goal with a parent and knows that they're going to be held accountable to their parent, then you're kind of on that same, same journey and track together. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and really we all need to be able to correct ourselves. You can't, you cannot learn self-government if you are not willing to correct yourself or to accept a correction from another person. So a huge part of being able to overcome social anxiety and self-govern yourself in general is by saying things happen in life. 
that's how it goes. And I'm not afraid of it, right? Which means we can't baby our children or coddle our children. We also don't need to be harsh to them. So let me be very clear about that. So regular talk times, making sure that you're consistent in your corrections with other people. This is huge. Another big one is people Remember we talked about the truth piece. So people need access to truth and they need to know they can access mm -hmm. it at any time. Right. So there was a, a, a young woman at my church and she has anxiety. I believe she even takes anxiety medications and she happened to be talking in a discussion group that we were having with her class um, about, you know, ways that she handles her anxiety. And she said, you know, one thing that I do all the time, it doesn't matter where I am, but it happens a lot at school. If there's something that, that is worrying me or bothering me, or is something I don't want to do that I know it's not going to hurt me. It's, it's, it's okay. If I do it, I'm just not, I'm feeling like I don't want to do it. She said, then what I do is I will write there at school. It doesn't matter where I am. I will say a prayer. And I will close my eyes and I will say a prayer in my heart and I will ask God to help me with whatever it is and to be there with me whenever it is and to make me strong so I can do it. And I was like, yes, for you, because see, the thing is, is she really does have real anxiety that she struggles with. She even's on medication for it, but her parents have made sure that she understands, listen, there are other truths. Okay. Okay. There are other truths and things that you can draw on and you can go to God and you can rely on that. They help truth. her see that she doesn't have to stay stuck in it because yeah. I think that they have to wallow in it and there's no way out. Yeah. And so I just feel like that's so great. I was just so impressed by that. And another young girl in the group said, well, you know, I go to my scriptures a lot. So mm. when I feel like I need to have a better understanding of truth, then I'm going to open my scriptures and I'm going to read there to find the truths that I need. So they know sources to go to. And then there was another girl and she, she's so cute. She's like 17. And she says, she says, this may sound dumb. It may sound babyish, but I go to my parents. If I'm feeling like I, I'm having a hard time dealing with something, I go to my parents and I talk it out with them. As she and should. I'm, yeah. That's absolutely. what they're there for. <laughs> So there's some sources of truth. You've got to give people sources of truth. Where can you go for more truth? Because otherwise it's all just up to your own brain. And that mm -hmm. seems overwhelming. If you feel like you have to sort out your own problem in your own brain and come up with every possible situation and how it might go to some people that equals increased anxiety, then they yep. shut down. Okay. So if they're already feeling anxious, give them something to go to someone to go to give them help plan out as many things as you can ahead of time, give them skills that they need. So some of these skills are huge and they're basic skills that we talk about all the time here on this channel, but um, they are skills like accepting no answers. When mm -hmm. a person accepts a no answer, there are four steps to that skill. And the last step is so vital. Drop the subject. Yeah. Drop the subject. So if a person learns, okay, wait, something didn't go my way, or I have to now go stand up in front of the class when I didn't know I was going to have to. So this is a massive no answer because I would not have wanted to do this then what am I going to do? I'm going to do the four steps. I'm going to look at the situation and the person, which is maybe the teacher. I'm going to keep a calm face, voice, and body. I'm going to say, okay, or maybe disagree appropriately. If you know, I've got a good one and I feel like I could handle that right now. Otherwise I'm just going to go do it. And I'm going to drop the subject and I'm not going to think about the fact that I have to do this when I wasn't be ready. okay with it. I'm going to say, it doesn't matter. I wasn't ready. I'm doing it anyway. I'm doing it anyway. Move forward, move mm -hmm. forward, 
move forward. So this is huge, accepting no answers. A person who is emotionally healthy gives themselves no answers all the time or accepts no answers all the time from themselves. And then after they accept a no answer, like, well, I can't change this, so I have to do it. Then the next thing is the instruction. So if the teacher calls on a person to speak in front of the class, they weren't ready for it. Guess what happens? They say, well, that's a no answer. I'm going to drop the subject and not think about it. Now, what instruction do I need? Well, I got to go up there. I got to get out of my chair, Mm -hmm. take a breath. (gasps) (laughs) you know like now now think what is the subject okay now think what is the first sentence going to be you know and sometimes after they make it past the first or second sentence they can do it Mm -hmm. it's because they have to but they have to instruct getting over that little hurdle Mm -hmm. they instruct themselves forward all right Paige I got one more thing for us one more thing reduce okay Mm, reduce So when you're a self-governed person, you don't expect you'll be perfect every day and every minute. And so you know that you have to go, whoopsie, made a mistake. I'm going to redo it and I'm going to do it the right way. So when you're socially in a setting, okay, you're on a a first date with someone and you say something that you realize might have been dumb. Okay. (laughs) Then, then instead of eating yourself up over it, you say, oh, well, that was a no answer. Uh, I said something that could be interpreted as kind of lame. And so then instead you say, but you know what, right now, I'm just going to go ahead and fix this by, by asking a question to the other person and showing that I care about them. Right. I'm just going to redo that scenario, or I'm going to look at them and laugh and say, the way I just said that did not come out properly. I'm going to say that that again, again, (laughs) because I'm pretty sure I just had a social fail, but I'm okay with that. And I'm going to (laughs) just rethink, you know? And so there you go. Bada bing. Resay it. Move well, on. and a lot of times when you do Redo. that, like people don't necessarily look at you as, oh man, she's so stupid. She just messed up. A lot of people say, wow, that's really big of her to like, you know, fix that. And yeah, so and a lot of people think been there, done that. I get it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, that's, you know, they can relate to that. And like yeah. when it comes to parenting as well, this is something I tell uh, parents a lot in our group mentor sessions that we do as part of the TSG parenting course is, you know, it's okay to redo, like there'll be things that you say or things that you do that you wish you hadn't have done in that situation. Maybe you weren't fully calm and you wish you were, or maybe you yelled at your kids when you were, you know, when you really didn't want to. And it's okay to go back when you're calm and say, you know, I am so sorry that I yelled at you. You know, I, I really wanted to do it this way. So I'm going to do it again. We're going to do this again. And, uh, cause I want to make sure I do it the right way to help train my brain to do it the right way. It's powerful. Like that is what self-government is. So at the end of the day, the person has to know, listen, we can prepare and prepare and prepare, but you're never fully prepared for everything. That's just life. So if you do something and you feel like "Mm, that might've just been a fail, either just say, okay, and drop the subject or redo it, just redo it. Mm -hmm. Just say to the people, I would like to redo that because that was kind of a social fail. Okay. And, and then everybody will chuckle a little with you because they'll be like, I get it. I wish I could redo half Mm -hmm. the things I say, you know, people think that (laughs) because we're hard on ourselves, but we've got to stop being hard on ourselves and think about how we can move forward. I think some of my biggest takeaways, and and you'll have to be thinking about what your takeaways are. Maybe some people are going to have to listen to this again. We sure did talk about a lot in here relating to anxiety. Some of my biggest takeaways from this podcast page are that 
really a person can do something about their anxiety and social anxiety is a real thing is something people deal with it comes mm -hmm. from a lot of different places and there's a lot of reasons it can happen but we don't have to let it shut us down and ruin our progress we can keep pushing ourselves forward which i think is important we can be hopeful and supportive but not coddle a person all at the same time and our confidence if we focus on building our confidence then we will increase our social well-being too and decrease some of that anxiety that we're mm -hmm. dealing with Oh, this has been such a great podcast. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. This is based upon the Teaching Self-Government Parenting course. If you do not have the Teaching Self-Government Parenting course, or if you have not attended one of my Parenting Mastery trainings, which are three-day trainings, you are going to want to do that. Get caught up, right? It's so good. Get all the rest of the pieces that you are hoping for. The Teaching Self-Government course and the Parenting Mastery training will give you all the nuts and bolts that you need to put all of these pieces in place and get the transformation within your heart and the hearts of your children, those behaviors, all those things that you are looking for. I've seen it happen now thousands and thousands of times over the years with families just like yours. So please go to teachingselfgovernment.com and look at that Teaching Self-Government Parenting course. Get into getting those modules done. Meet with mentors. Get on that support group and just get going. Yeah. Anyway, because it'll give you all those skills that you need that we just talked about that work, that calm environment, there's good connections with like-minded people. You will help you set goals and be held accountable, especially with the group mentor sessions that come with the TSG parenting course. I run those and that's what I help people do all the time. Yeah, she does. It's fantastic. And there's other mentors that join with her too. So anyway, please go to teachingselfgovernment.com if it's Christmas for you. Merry Christmas. And if it's not Christmas, I hope you enjoyed this. Anyway, we will <laughs> talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.